It was in 1960 that that dreaded football team to the north, those Green Bay Packers, made it all the way to the NFL championship game. They had a lead in the fourth quarter, and then they gave it up, and the other team came back and won. Bears fans know what that feels like. Oh, sorry, is that too soon after last week for everyone? Is that too soon? They were so close to winning the championship game. And the next season started with training camp. And the players were so close to winning, they came back and they were excited to jump in thinking, we're gonna get right to work. We're gonna go master these really complex schemes and plays. And this is what will take us to the next level. This is what will help us to win it this year rather than to lose. But their coach, the legendary Vince Lombardi, had a different idea. And his idea was at training camp not to jump into the deep end, but to walk slowly in and start with the very basic and fundamentals of the game of football. And so he started off as his players were assembled before him on the first day of training camp, and he started this basic. He said, gentlemen, this, this is a football. And he walked them through the rules of the game and the playbook of the game, focusing on the very fundamentals of what they were to do as a team. And that year, they again made it to the NFL championship. And to the chagrin of Bears fans, they won 37 to nothing that year in the championship game. See, it's mastery of the fundamentals. When we really get the basics of something that causes us to have growth and to see success in all things of life. And this is true for us as a church. If we wanna experience all that God would have for us as a church, if we wanna be the church that God has called us to be, we must master the fundamentals of what he has given us. And today we're gonna look at three fundamentals that Jesus gives the church. Three fundamentals Jesus gives the church from the book of Acts chapter one. If you have your Bibles this morning, I would uh, encourage you to open to Acts chapter one as we're gonna be looking together at the first 11 verses there. See, we've titled this series, Be the Church. Notice what we didn't call it. We didn't say attend church go to the church, or even join the church, as important as all of those things are. But the reality is when you look at the Bible and you start to study the book of Acts, as we're going to see over the next couple months, that church is not merely an hour-long commitment that we make each and every week. But if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the church is now who you are. And Jesus calls us to be the church, not just when we're here gathered together on Sunday mornings, but when we go out and live our lives every single day. Acts chapter 1 starts for us in verse 1. It says this, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach, until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. 
The first fundamental that Jesus gives the church is he gives us our message. Jesus gives us our message. What is it that we have to say to the world? What is the fundamental thing that we have to offer to the world that is unique, that only the church can bring, that nothing else in our world and in society can bring? He gives us our message. If you see in the first two verses, Luke is careful to root everything he writes in the book of Acts is based on and comes with, he supposes, a knowledge of what he wrote before. See, this is actually the second part of a book. Luke, the gospel of Luke, is the first part, and Acts is the second part. And what Luke wants to make sure we understand as we begin to look at the history of the church and the growth of the church in Christianity is this. There is no church if there is no Jesus. There is no church, there is no Christianity if there is not Jesus. And nothing makes sense, nothing will happen unless our faith is rooted in the historical life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and all that he came and taught. We see he emphasizes key to our message is indeed the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That we serve a risen Messiah. He says that Jesus presented himself in verse 3 alive to them after his suffering by many proofs. Jesus proved that he had come back from the dead. Well, how did he do this? He appeared to so many people that at that time, if you were to say, Jesus didn't really come back from the dead, it was his identical brother, it was a made up fairy tale. He actually, it's just all a myth, it never happened, that there were enough credible people around who could say, no, it's not true, but you know why? Because I saw him, I talked with him, I met him. In fact, the gospel shows us 10 different appearances after the resurrection of Jesus Christ that he made. Jesus appeared to the women at the tomb. He, He appeared to Mary Magdalene, to the Emmaus disciples, He appeared to Peter in Jerusalem, then to the 10 disciples gathered in the upper room, and then to all 11 disciples. He appeared in Galilee to the seven disciples while they were fishing, then to all 11 disciples in Galilee. He appeared to James, the brother of Jesus, and lastly, we're told that he appeared to over 500 people in a congregation. Friends, Jesus is the risen Messiah. And this is the core message that we have for the world. We serve and have been saved by the risen Messiah. Excuse me. We see this continually emphasized throughout the book of Acts. It's interesting in the sermons that are preached by the apostles in the book of Acts, every single sermon, every single one mentions the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They focus on, they go in, it all changed when Jesus came back from the dead. We don't serve a God who died, but one who rose from the dead and is living in the world today. Jesus also went about and spoke and said about the kingdom of God. This is a central theme throughout the Gospels. If you walked through us the last year as we studied Mark, or excuse me, Matthew, where you saw over and over references to the kingdom of God meaning all that Jesus came to do and the work that he has done to save his people and what that means for us now. We see, again, this phrase, kingdom of God, 
represented and mentioned at key points throughout the book of Acts. It's the core message that emanates from our lives, that emanates from our church, one that we serve the risen Messiah, or is it something different? See, so often what the church is known for and what even our church and our lives can be known for is not the fact that we serve the risen Messiah, but we so often focus on how people act and behave that we're known more for thinking that we're moralistic people than followers of Jesus. Is the church known for having the right morality or is it known for serving the risen Messiah? What is the message of the church that the world sees and hears from us today? Because so often when they think of Christians, when they think of church people, they think of people who look nice and who act nice. And so often the danger is that's what we can communicate in our churches. Friends, it's good to be moral. If you've met the risen Messiah, your life should change. But the danger is this. There's lots of really good-looking, well-behaved people who are far from God. And if the church just teaches a right morality, but not the risen Messiah, we've lost the message that Jesus gave us, which is he came and he rose from the dead. I remember back when I was in college, I worked uh, a, a job for over a year. I worked at a Starbucks here in downtown Chicago. And our manager, because I worked almost every morning and it was in a business area, our manager encouraged us to get to know the customers who we would see oftentimes every single day, to know their drink, to get to know their name, just to say hi to them as they came in. And there were several people uh, that I got to know over the year that I worked there. And one of those, his name was Danny. Danny would come in mid-morning almost every single day. And I remember near the end of my time at Starbucks, on the last day, in fact, I made sure to tell goodbye to those people that I had gotten to know, and it's pretty essential, right? I give you caffeine every morning. I'm a vital part of your life. <laughs> and so I would say goodbye to them and just let them know that, hey, I'm not going to be here anymore, um, and to let them know, actually, that, that I got a job. I was leaving that job because I was starting to work here at Moody Church, and I would invite them to church here. And I told, I told Danny, hey, Danny, I'm, I'm actually, this is my last day at work. He said, really, where are you going? And I said, actually, I'm, I'm going to be working up at the Moody Church. Do you know where that is? He said, yeah, I've heard of your church. I've, I've driven by it before. I said, Danny, I want you to know that if you ever want to go to church, if you ever have any questions about God, religion, if you ever need anything, please come to our church. I would love for you to come. I'll never forget his response. He said, your church doesn't want people like me. Your church doesn't want people like me. Because what was his influence? What did he think about our church? He thought we were just simply people who acted like we have it all together. Like what we have to offer to the world is the right morality. When the message that Jesus has given us isn't that we have the right morality, it's that we serve the risen Messiah. The fact that Jesus died, the fact that Jesus came back from the dead and rules and reigns now is not just a part of our faith, it's fundamental to our faith. We have nothing without it. 
when people talk about Christianity, when people interact with us, we need to know that so often they think the fact that we're Christians just means a moral code that we live to. So often we're confused on why people think this way, but just know that in our interactions with the world, this is how we're looked at. And we have to fight the battle against saying we're just good, proper people and saying no, 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 no. The church is not for people with the right morality. The church is for anyone who wants to meet the risen Messiah. The church is the place for the broken, for the lost, for the hurting. It's not a place for people who already have it all together. It's for people who want to meet the risen Messiah. Perhaps you're here today and you've always thought the church was just about looking good and acting right. I encourage you today to stop the striving, stop the performance that that is on your life, but instead to meet Jesus, to meet the risen Messiah. The first fundamental that Jesus gives us is our message. We serve the risen Messiah. He continues in Acts chapter 1, verse 4. It says this, And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The second fundamental that Jesus gives the church, the second fundamental is Jesus gives us our mission. Jesus gives us our mission. And our mission is simple yet hard, to witness to the world. That's the mission of the church, to reach the world with the love and the saving news of Jesus Christ. He tells them in verse 5 uh, that, that they need to wait and they will be baptized from the Holy Spirit. We're going to look at what that looked like in Acts chapter 2 next week as they experience the power of the Holy Spirit coming upon them. But they ask this question in verse 6, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel. See, the disciples still don't have the proper focus. Notice Jesus doesn't say, I'm never going to restore the kingdom to Israel. He's not denying that those promises will be true. But what he's saying is, this is not the time or the place. You're worried about when, and I'm telling you who. You're worried about when stuff will happen, and I'm telling you what you need to go do and who you need to go minister to. And so he gives them, in verses 7 and 8, the last words that he speaks to the apostles. Now, all the words of Scripture are important. They're inspired. All the words of Jesus are important and are inspired. But these, I think, stand out even more so because these are the last words of Jesus. Think of if you were about to say goodbye to a loved one and you knew very well it may be the last time you ever saw them. Maybe they're in our armed forces and they're deploying. And you wanted to make sure to remind them, 
just one or two things as they left, how much you love them, that you're so proud of them. Imagine how the impact of those last words, how thoughtful they would be. These are Jesus' last words to the apostles. These are Jesus' last words to the church. And he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes, and you will be my witnesses. He promises us power when the Holy Spirit comes. That we will be equipped by God for all that God has for us to do in our world. And for the apostles, they had to look to the day when the Holy Spirit would come, which was just a few days away. For us, we don't have to wait for the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The moment you place your faith and trust in the risen Messiah, in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells inside you. You have the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. It's an amazing truth that the church has, the power of the Holy Spirit with us. And the apostles were given this power, and what is the task that they are to accomplish? What is the, their mission with the power of the Holy Spirit? It's to be witnesses of Jesus. For them, they literally, the apostles, were all eyewitnesses to the resurrection. Right? Wouldn't it be great if you could tell people that Jesus rose from the dead and your friends were like, I don't think so. And you're like, no, yeah, I saw him. Like, it's true. Like, I met him last week. Yeah, it actually happened. Right? These were the apostles They had physically seen and met and interacted with the risen Messiah. They were eyewitnesses and they told of what Jesus had done and the fact that he was risen from the dead. And where were they to go? Were they just to set up a church and to sit inside some walls and be like, well, if anyone wants to come here about this news, they know where we are. We put a sign out front and when we meet. No, but they are to go to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the ends of the earth. This geographic structure sets up a rough outline of the book of Acts. As we see the first seven chapters focus on the gospel in Jerusalem. And then in chapter 8, it begins to go out to Judea and Samaria. And then by the end, the last half of Acts, it's going to the very ends of the known world. This was the mission of the apostles, and this is the mission of the church today. To represent Jesus to the entire world. To go, to go to the world, not to wait for them to come to us, but for us to go to them with this message that Jesus has risen from the dead. And forgiveness of sins can be found only through him. The Holy Spirit gave them power to witness. Are we properly using the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives? So when you think of how we often talk as Christians, if you're a Christian this morning, if you think of how we often talk about the Holy Spirit, think of what we, or at least maybe this is just myself, but I don't think I'm alone. Think of what we often say. The Holy Spirit was given so that I can overcome sin in my life. Yes, that's part of it. The Holy Spirit was come so that I could make wise decisions and have discernment. Yes, the Holy Spirit helps us with that. The Holy Spirit comes so that I can understand Scripture and so that I can know God more. Yes, that's part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. But so often in our individualized world, we've taken the Holy Spirit, the power of God, and made it 
what can he do for me? How can he help me grow? How can he help my problems? Friends, the power of the Holy Spirit was given to the apostles to go to the world. And that's part of the power that Jesus gives us. If we're having this power of the Holy Spirit, which we have as the church, and we don't use it appropriately, it's a horrible, horrible waste. Think of the the 1980s movie, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, a classic Chicago film. And Ferris is a high school student who fakes sick and skips school, and then he goes over to his buddy Cameron's house. And Cameron actually thinks he's sick, Ferris talks him out of it, and all they need to have a great day on a beautiful Chicago day is they need a car. They need a car. And so Ferris has what he thinks is a brilliant idea that scares his friend Cameron to death because he says, hey Cameron, your dad has a beautiful red Ferrari in the garage. And Cameron goes, oh no. Oh no, my dad spent three years restoring this car. He literally says, my dad loves this car more than life itself. He loves it so much, he never drives it. He would never take it out. They think Ferris has some good logic. He says, look at this thing. Look at all the power that's under the hood. Why would you waste that power just letting it sit in the garage? The car wasn't meant to sit there and look at it. The car was meant to be taken out into the world, to be used that power, not just to sit there on the inside. We're guilty of the same thinking so often in our lives, that the Holy Spirit's power was given for me and my problems and my sin, and we don't even think about the fact that God may have something greater for us in the world to be a part of. If we think the power of the Holy Spirit is just for us, we're missing out on the mission of the church. In fact, if the mission of the church is not the mission of your life, you're wasting your life. If we are called to be the church and we are given the mission of the church is to go to the world, so if the mission of our lives doesn't line up with the mission that Jesus gives the church, we're wasting our lives. We're spending it looking good, making money, having fun, and we're wasting the power of the Holy Spirit that God has given to us. See, we, we showed it in the video that was played right before, and perhaps you saw on some of the, the banners and signs as you came into church today, the, the sign, Be the Church, and underneath it, um, the number is 167. Maybe some of you were like, they, uh, they finally figured out the special Bible code. That's awesome. They're sharing it with us, and so you started to read like your 167th word of your Bible and piecing together. It's not a magic phrase or a formula. But there's 168 hours in the week. And we gather together for about one hour a week. How are we being the church with the other 167 hours that God has given us? See, this mission of the church, if we are the church, is not just the mission of when we gather together, but it's the mission of when we go. And when we go out tomorrow, And it's our entire lives become about the mission of Jesus, the mission of the church. Jesus gives us the fundamentals. He gives us the message. 
that we serve the risen Messiah. He gives us our mission to take Jesus to the world. We conclude with the last three verses of Acts chapter 1. It's not the last, but verses 9 to 11. It says this, And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. The third fundamental that Jesus gives us is he gives us our motivation. He gives us our motivation, which is that Jesus reigns and Jesus will return. Our motivation for carrying out this mission to the world is that Jesus reigns and Jesus will return. In verse 9, he showed how clear it was that, that this, uh, this um, event that we call the ascension or the going up of Jesus was, again, a physical thing that was witnessed. When he said these things, as they were looking on, he was taken out of their sight. These are clear references to they saw this event happen, that Jesus went up. And the angel wanted to make sure that we know where Jesus is now. Why are you gazing into heaven? Behold, the Jesus who was taken into heaven. Why are you looking? He was in heaven, and he's coming from heaven. It says it four times in two verses. Where is Jesus right now? He's in heaven. He's at the right hand of God the Father. So what does he mean? What, what do the, the angels mean when they say that Jesus will come in the same way? What does it mean that Jesus will come back if his return will be the same as the ascension? What does that mean? First, it means that Jesus will come personally. Jesus personally in bodily form will return to earth. He's not going to be up there and send some representatives, send some angels to gather his church to himself. Jesus himself is coming back. Again, like the ascension, his return will be visible. His return will be seen visibly that we will see him come back. And unlike when he went up in the ascension, when he returns, we're not going to wonder if he's back. There's no missing the return of Jesus Christ. And third, coming in the same way, his return will be glorious. Just as his ascension caused the apostles to stare in awe and amazement when Jesus returns, it will be glorious when he comes back. So what significance does the ascension, the fact that Jesus not only rose from the dead, but now went and is in heaven right now, what impact does that have on our lives? I think we need to remind ourselves that if Jesus is in heaven, that means Jesus has authority over all things. Jesus has the utmost authority over all things. And he sends us into the world backed by the power of God with the one, and we serve the one who has authority over all things. That motivates us to go to the world knowing we serve the God who reigns and is supreme over everything. But not just that Jesus rules, but also that Jesus will return. That Jesus will return. And just as the disciples asked a few moments ago, is now the time? 
So often when we think of the return of Jesus, we think of when it will happen. What are the times? When is the time going to be? And the response that, that Jesus would probably give us is that's not for you to worry about. But what do you need to know is you need to act like Jesus is actually coming back. Is the church, are we actually living our lives like Jesus is coming back? Because guess what? He is. Are we actually living our lives like the fact that it could happen today? It could happen in our lifetimes. That Jesus will return. We don't know when. Are we living our lives in such a way that would live into this mission knowing the urgency that we have? Because any day, at any moment, we could meet our Savior face to face. So often, though, rather than being motivated to carry out this mission to the world, we find ourselves distracted. We find ourselves distracted from the mission of the church being the mission of our lives. The apostles themselves were distracted. What the angel basically are saying is like, hey, stop staring and start doing what Jesus said to do. Right? Like, why are you looking up? Jesus gave you instructions. Get busy. See, we get distracted from the mission of the church being the mission of our lives. When I, uh, when I started driving in the city of Chicago, it was in the ancient days. Young people don't understand this, but there was a time where you couldn't just look on your cell phone to see how bad the traffic was outside. There were times that were that long ago that exist, my friends. And back then, and, and you, most of you remember this, to get the traffic information, you had to go into your car and you would tune into the AM radio, and there was that station that would play the traffic every 10 minutes, traffic on the eights, right? I can't be the only one who always used to check out traffic on the eights. And I remember when I would start to listen to the traffic report, they, they made a phrase that I didn't understand at first. They said, there's a gaper's delay on such and such expressway. And I'd be like, a gaper's delay? Like, what are they talking about? I actually had to ask people what that terminology meant. See, a gaper's delay is this. Say there's an accident coming into the city on a highway. And so the traffic is obviously slowed because there's an accident. But a gaper's delay is on the other side of the road where there's no cars, there's no stoppage. Rather than going full speed, because we're humans, and as soon as we see flashing lights, we break and we look. That just is what we do. We slow down and we stare. And it's a gaper's delay. The mission of your life in Chicago traffic is to get as fast as possible from point A to point B, to weave in and out, to go. And the moment we see flashing lights, we're like, what's that? Check it out over there. The mission of our lives that Jesus gives us is to take the gospel to the world. And we say, yes, that's my, what's this over here? What's this over here? We're quite possibly the most distracted people in human history. And besides all the technology that would distract us from carrying out this mission, so often distractions from this are so difficult to deal with in our lives because our distractions often aren't sinful in and of themselves. So many of us get distracted from the mission of God, and it's not necessarily due to sin, but it's due to the other things that God's placed in our lives. 
I don't know about you, but for me, the biggest excuse that I make on why I'm not carrying out the mission of Jesus in my life is normally also the biggest distraction in it, right? I would do that. Work is so busy right now. I would do, oh, the kids and everything at life with family, it's just overwhelming. I don't have time to talk about Jesus. I would do that, but the semester just started and life gets overwhelmed. I would do that, but ministry itself is so consuming. And we get distracted from the mission of Jesus, the mission of the church, and we get pulled off course. Friends, we need to stop making excuses. We need to take our distractions and submit them and say, we're not going to stop doing those things. We're not going to stop working. It's not that you quit your family. But it's instead of those things distracting you from your mission, you fulfill the mission of the church through those things. Instead of your work being the distraction from the mission of the church, you are the church at your workplace every single day. I would challenge you this week, if you want to represent Jesus, if you want to be the church to the world, just pray the simple prayer every morning. Jesus, may the mission of my life today be the mission of the church. May the mission of my life today be the mission of the church. Jesus gives us our message. We serve the risen Savior. He gives us our mission to be witnesses of Jesus to the world, and he gives us our motivation that Jesus reigns and he will return. Friends, in this time, in this place, with the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, I'm convinced of this statement, that this church can change this city. This church can change this city. Moody Church in 2018, we can change the city of Chicago with the power of God. So the question is how? How can we change? How can a few thousand people make a difference in a city of several million? How can we do that? Do we need bigger programs, bigger events, more money? Do we need all that? Well, that's fine. And there's a time and a place for that. But how this church can change this city is if everyone who's a part of the Moody Church went out today and tomorrow and they lived as the church where God has placed them. That thousands of people just this next week would see the love of Jesus Christ displayed in action through our lives. This church can change this city when church is not a one-hour commitment, but it's the other 167 that we're committed to following Jesus every single hour of our week. This church can change the city. We stop thinking of church as a place to come and say we shift our lives and we go out from this place ready and resolved to be the church. God, we thank you that you have blessed us and given us the power of the Holy Spirit. God, may we understand what you've called us to, our message to serve and, and to elevate the risen Messiah, to bring the mission of Jesus, the love of Christ to the world. God, and that you're reigning and you will return. 
May that motivate us to action. God, if we're going to make a difference, any difference in this city, in this world, it's not by ourselves. It's through you. God, would you equip us, would you empower us, would you motivate us as we leave this place to be witnesses of Jesus Christ to this lost and hurting world? God, may we see people's lives changed. May we see people meet the risen Messiah here at this church because the power of the Holy Spirit compels us and sends us. God, may we be faithful each of us to carry out the mission of the church, to be the church where you've sent us. Pray this all in Jesus' name.